Morning, everybody. All right, good morning, folks. Today is Wednesday, October 5th, Worldwide Wednesday. Welcome to episode number 212 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 45 minutes, you and I are going to be going through the top cybersecurity news stories of the day. And I'll be giving my expert analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner. So what can you do with this information today or, you know, strategically, or if you're looking to break into the industry, you're going to be asked, how do you stay current in the industry? And this is a banger of an answer. Chats here coming strong. I'm loving it. If it's your first time here, settle in. You're in for a great experience. Before we get started, I do want to say shout out and thanks to my good friends and stream sponsors. Eric Taylor, Eric Capuano, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Links in the description below. Also, much love to Eric Capuano and the Recon InfoSec team. If your, orga- if your organization is large enough to have real cybersecurity currents, but maybe not quite large enough to build full-fledged SecOps capability, it's, 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 a huge, it's a huge group of people, right? It's like from tiny to, you know, before you start hiring uh, gangbuster style, right? So if you're in this bucket where you're not quite large enough to build a full-fledged SecOps capability from the ground up, Check out Managed Detection and Response Offering from Recon InfoSec. You guys may not know that they that they do that service, but Recon InfoSec has a dynamite MDR service. Great staff over there. Security company led by security people. Recon InfoSec's offering includes the people, the process, the technology needed to deliver full-spectrum SecOps to organizations of any size. I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs or continuing education, this episode, just like every episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, is worth half a CPE. Doesn't seem like much, but if you're here every single day like I am, it stacks up. Two and a half a week, ten a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat. Get credit if you ever get you know, audited for your uh, credits. You can just point to chat and say, hey, I was there. What else? And this definitely qualifies, guys. You can check the policy for CPEs, but I've done it for ISC Square, CompTIA, um, I think GAC, and they all meet because this is industry knowledge shared among industry people. If you're live, love it. Hit hashtag Team Live in chat. Uh, but we'll we'll actually be asking you what to put in chat in a second. Start dropping where you're coming from. I can't look at it just yet, but it's Worldwide Wednesday. We're gonna run the globe. If you're uh, watching on replay, hashtag Team Replay in chat. Thanks for catching the stream or listening on your audio podcast app of choice. That's right. You can listen to this and not have your 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 phone battery sucked out by YouTube just by going uh, onto your podcast app of choice, typing in Simply Cyber. Bang, the logo's there. You pull it down, the, and you're on replay, okay? 
So if you want to jump ahead because you're on replay, go for it. The next two, three minutes, I'm going to be sipping coffee, welcoming people into chat and seeing if we can run the globe on Worldwide Wednesday. What's up, people? What's up, Jamaica's in the house. Akeem, my man, haircut fish from Central PA. Leonardo coming in the Dominican, coming strong. What's up, Casey? I see you, Jess Bishop. IT Sorceress representing the mighty VA. Very cool. Hey, Ahmed, let's go. Mm-hmm. Just a bite checking in from Europe. We've got Europe and North America online. I see you. I see you, Caribbean. What's up, Ms. Julian? Hey, Nathan Bowen in the West Virginia. Go Mountaineers, right? Morning, morning from the great state of Texas. We've got Alsa from the UK, so Europe is totally online now. South Carolina representing strong. Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Love it. Do love it. Canada's in the house. Internal Stranger doesn't have to say it. We've got Australia online. I see you, Internal Stranger. Bahamas up in here. We need Asia. We need Africa. We need South America. Come on now. We got a couple minutes here. We've got two minutes, one second till the song ends, y'all. Westerville, Ohio in the house. Love it. Missouri's what's up? Hey, Munchkin, good to see you. Get your coffee, people. Hey, what's up, Cody Waylu, my man out in South Dakota? Went to school with Cody. Good person. Very smart individual. Love him. South Sudan in the house. What's up, Morris Thomas, representing Africa? Africa's online, people. We just need Asia and South America now. Let's go it. South Africa. Thank you, Cyber Munchkin. Turkey's in the house. What is Turkey considered Europe? I feel like Turkey's considered Europe, right? I mean, it's kind of in the middle, and I'm not wicked cultured. Come on, Philippines. Philippines, night shift. Michael Vito representing Asia, my man. Thank you. India, Sanjeev's in here from India. Guys, South America, it's always the long pole in the tent. What's up, Greece? I see you. Can we get South America in here before the song ends? Canada's up in here. Good to see you, Maple Leaf. Severino, Braden Brown. Stacking coins in the Eastern European space. Love it. Botswana, it's getting hot in Botswana, my man. Africa's here. South Af South America, can we get a South America? Oh, yeah, Turkey's both Europe and Asia. Oh, Aaron Segetti, so we get credit for two continents. That's a pretty, pretty good loophole. All right, who's in South America, people? Let's go. Also, Tivit, no, Turkey's not in Europe. Okay, guys, 30 seconds left on the clock. Middle East is up in here. Okay, UK here. Yeah, we'll probably start including the UK as its own space, too, in the Worldwide Wednesdays. Come on, guys. Come on, the timer's coming down. South America, where are you at? 15 seconds. Oh, my God. Good to see you, Jack Rodriguez. Hey, Ciara Doyle. Europe's online. All right, all right. Womp womp. All right. I appreciate people not jumping on VPNs and trying to loophole it that way. We do want to be legit and above board on the Worldwide Wednesday. Sadly, we are not uh, able to complete the Worldwide Wednesday. Let's try again next Wednesday. All right, everybody. That was a lot of fun. Let's get into the news. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. Musk offers to proceed with Twitter deal. On Tuesday, regulators received a letter from Elon Musk's legal team offering to proceed with the $44 billion Twitter buyout. The agreement would preempt a trial scheduled for October related to Musk's allegations of rampant bot accounts and security misgivings on the platform. 
The deal hinges on the receipt of debt financing, as well as the Delaware Chancery Court ceasing all other legal proceedings related to the deal. Twitter responded Tuesday, signaling their intent to close the original deal. However, Twitter's board indicates it will take its time to review the offer over fears of it being a legal ploy. Yeah, okay, so a little less of a cybersecurity story, um, although obviously Twitter has a major societal impact. I haven't been following this thing too close. You know, Elon wanted to buy it and then he, he didn't buy it because he said it was mostly bought activity. He did get a lot of information out of Twitter. Uh, as part of this and now like Twitter was fighting him back and now Twitter is trying to force him to buy it. Now he's going to buy it. I do love that they have the Abe Lincoln logo here. Like how many Abe Lincolns does it take to get to $44 billion? That would be, I mean, obviously there's a number, but that's quite, quite a few. Um, yeah, guys, there isn't much cybersecurity news here. We'll just see how it goes. Obviously there's some concern or some speculation that if uh, Elon was to buy Twitter, uh, he would you know, shake up the platform a little bit in the way it operates. Obviously, um, you know, Twitter does have bot activity. Twitter is used for misinformation, disinformation campaigns. It's not really used super hardcore for phishing um, or, uh, you know, criminal uh, logistics and coordination. They like they use Discord, Telegram uh, more than they would use Twitter. Um, so just whatever, something to follow on this one. Not a, not a huge cybersecurity story, in my opinion. TikTok security deal becomes a political pawn. Republicans are criticizing the Biden administration for dragging its feet reviewing risks associated with TikTok potentially sharing U.S. user data with the Chinese government. Republicans are vowing to conduct hearings on the matter should they win the House or Senate majorities in the November midterm elections. James Lewis, head of the Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, called the risk TikTok poses debatable, but agrees the White House response has not been on a fast track. TikTok has denied sharing any user data with the Chinese government and said it won't do so even if requested. Sources say the administration is close to finalizing a deal with TikTok that would include implementing a series of safeguards, including storing all U.S. user data on Oracle servers located in the U.S. Republicans say they will contest any agreement that does not impose stringent safeguards. Okay. All right, guys. So... This is all around controlling data, right? So the big deal here is TikTok, uh, Chinese-backed. There's some concern, uh, you know, in our current economy, like data is the gold, data is the oil, right? Look at the richest people in the world. Um, they basically uh, broker in data. So the concern here is that TikTok, uh, Chinese-backed, you know, China and the United States are kind of having adversarial interactions, very diplomatic, but adversarial nonetheless. There's a breakup in kind of the global economy. Um, you know, there was talk about Biden not allowing certain, um, like purchasing of certain chips and, and microchips and stuff from China a couple months ago. So this thing's escalating. Now, what they're saying here is that um, there's a concern about the data of American usage and American information on the TikTok platform, right? And um, the United States wants you to say, you can only put it on Oracle, which by the way, TikTok's data moved to Oracle exclusively, uh, Oracle backend, like the Oracle cloud, uh, a couple months ago, that was covered in the news, and that there needs to be safeguards in place. Guys, here's my thing, right? It's not like, if the data is stored in the United States, who cares? Like the, the people who live in China, the Chinese government, whoever, they can still get to it. It's just in the cloud. It's not like, I mean, maybe it takes a little longer for network connectivity, but please, like, 
that it's not going to prevent them from doing that. I guess you do have like a fail safe mechanism where you could, you know, basically put up a firewall for lack of a better term at the borders uh, to cut off access if you wanted to. But there's also ways around that as we've seen people get around the great firewall or people in North Korea get access to information. So there's ways around it if you wanted to. Um, I mean, as far as data on Americans, I don't really feel like personal information, like, oh, you put in your phone number, you put in your, your email address or whatever. Like th those data sets have been popped like multiple times over, right? OPM breach a couple years ago, which some people claim was China. I don't know if that's definitive or not, but like the level of information in you know, like millions of Americans FS86 forms is way deeper than what you're gonna get on TikTok. The only thing, the only thing I could see uh, for weaponizing TikTok would be for, you know, an adversary who could control the data on TikTok to be able to understand what you Americans are, are, are um, re-watching or pausing on. So they could quickly um, push stuff out that isn't getting looked at and then push stuff in that is getting looked at and then start, you know, doing what Cambridge Analytica did with Facebook in 2016, start... Uh, manip manipulating basically public sentiment, uh, suppressing um, opposing views that isn't aligned with what the Chinese government wants uh, to come out of a certain way with their agenda is. And guys, to me, that's what the platform, like, what safeguards? You can't, you can't say it like, oh, you can't look at how long someone's looking at a piece of content. So I, I don't understand what the U.S. government is trying to accomplish here with this. Um, I don't see any kind of safeguard you could put in place other than the ability to like cut access off to the data as kind of a uh, like a, 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 a fail safe fire door kind of thing. So uh, I'm going to go back and look at chat to see what people have to say about this one. But to me, um, you know, it's posturing. But TikTok, dude, it owns 50 percent of the social media market right now, like 25 and under. That's what they're using. So there's a huge market. There's huge money. Uh, and it's going to be very difficult for the United States to like be like, nah, nah, brah, not happening, right? NetWalker ransomware affiliate sentenced to 20 years in prison. On Tuesday, a court in Tampa, Florida, sentenced former NetWalker ransomware as a service affiliate Sebastian Vachon Desjardins to 20 years in prison and ordered him to forfeit $21.5 million. The 34-year-old Canadian man was extradited from Quebec and pled guilty to a series of computer and wire fraud-related crimes. After serving his prison sentence, Vachon Desjardins will have to serve three years of supervised release and will not be permitted to use any device capable of connecting to the internet. Back in February, Vachon Desjardins was sentenced to six years and eight months for similar charges in a court in Ontario. Yeah. Heck. So... This just goes to show you. Okay, so so basically this this Quebec dude is going to jail for a long time and he had $21 million of basically stolen money uh, that he has to forfeit and give back. So retribution, justice for the victims, okay? But this guy, um, I feel like, you know, whatever, there's probably more getting sentenced, but 20 years, dude, that's a long time. Secondly, he's not allowed to touch a computer for a long period of time too that is like i probably would be okay and i might actually find pleasure uh in life i do have pleasure in life now don't get me wrong but like i need access to the internet i am hyper connected like i love being i love the power of the internet so that would be um a horrible horrible punishment to receive that you can't uh, access computers or internet now 
What I think interesting about this particular one is ransomware as a service has turned into big business. We've seen uh, Revil, Black Matter, um, a couple other ones, Conti. Well, no, Conti's a little different, but there, there's ransomware as a service. So like I'm the ransomware threat actor, like NetWalker, right? And I set up this wicked easy system for anybody, like anybody that wants to get rich quick can sign up and I provide all the infrastructure, all the technology. I give you a white paper on follow these steps, right? And you too can be rich, right? Just sign up for my course, right? So you get this white paper, you get the technology, you then use your own ability to, to get passwords or you attack your own company where you already have access using a shared account because everybody's got access to the password. They won't be able to attribute it to you. And you ransomware businesses. And in exchange, you give a piece of whatever you collect to the, the, the ransomware operator, right? And it makes sense. It's like affiliate marketing, right? You do all the work, you have all the product, you have everything. I'm just out there hitting the bricks, delivering the, the, the payloads. Okay. So what I think is interesting is this is kind of like, I feel like this is sending a notice out to anyone. I wish this was mainstream media sending a notice out to anyone that's doing affiliate ransomware and saying, bro, you will get 20 years. It reminds me I'm old enough and like preach if you're old enough to remember this, but dude, in the late nineties, it was bananas what was going on with Kaza, Napster, LimeWire. It was bananas. It was straight music theft all over the place. And then they passed the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and they went after like three individuals. Everybody, I mean, everybody had thousands of stolen music on their computers, okay? Everybody. Like I was in college at that time. It was, you just, everybody had it, okay? You'd walk into someone's room, they'd be rocking Winamp and everything. You wanted to hear a song, you just walk over to their computer, push a few buttons. It's like Spotify today, except Wicked Illegal back then. And they found three individuals. And I mean, they hit these three individuals with like wicked expensive fines. There may have been some um, some jail time. I think it was just fines. But like, anyways, they made them a very public example. And do you know what happened? The abuse and use of all of those technologies went way down. I'm talking like, you don't even hear about it anymore, right? Of course, with Spotify and Pandora and stuff, you don't need to hear about it. But my point is, this dude right here is a perfect, not martyr, but uh, what, what's it called? Like, like an example. Like, bro, you want to do ransomware? Go for it. 20 years, $21 million forfeiture. Get in line. There's breach scam sites to hijack crypto transactions. In July, the FBI warned of a scam dubbed DApps or decentralized applications that stole victims' crypto investments by impersonating crypto mining services. A threat actor named Water Labu has been spotted injecting malicious JavaScript into the DApp scam sites. When an investor connects their wallet to the site, Labu's script detects whether the wallet contains a large amount of crypto holdings, and if so, attempts to steal it. Labu has compromised at least 45 scam websites, making off with over $316,000. <laughs> All right, cool. So this is thieves stealing from thieves. You know what? If I was a criminal, I actually, I guess I'd have to really do the calculus because if you're stealing from someone who's already comfortable breaking the law, you know, you, they might come after you physically or hurt someone that you care about, family, loved ones, burn your house down. I don't know. Uh, because they're already making... Um, I think scrupulous is the correct word to use here. They're already making scrupulous decisions. Hold on, I, I, I'm sorry. 
I'm going to have to just find scrupulous and see if I'm using this incorrectly. Diligent, thorough, and extremely attentive to detail. Okay. They, they are not making scrupulous decisions. They're making criminal decisions. Um, and I don't see why they wouldn't make another criminal decision. Now, other, the other end of this is, though, that the, the, the victim in this case, the other criminal who's, whose money is getting stolen, they can't go to law enforcement and be like, listen, I stole that money fair and square. I want justice. Go after this other criminal. They can't do that. That's not that's not what's going on. They, like they'd have to go get some other criminal to go after this criminal. So, you know, whatever. Uh, it just goes to show you that <laughs> software is software, guys. And the fact that uh, criminals are able to inject into JavaScript and steal other criminals' uh, crypto transactions is, you know, it's poetic justice, frankly. Uh, clever that the hackers are going after those individuals. You don't see it very often. Worth noting though, we just saw recently where Lockbit, the ransomware gang that uses Lockbit actually has a bug bounty program where you can find vulnerabilities and weaknesses in their Lockbit ransomware uh, platform and get paid by them for hardening their platform from, from vulnerabilities. So obviously uh, that would kind of go into this, right? Where like these guys would say, hey, can someone you know, test our web app, our crypt, <laughs> our criminal web app, get on hacker one or something and be like, test our criminal web app and see if there's any bugs to avoid this. So anyways, um, whatever, this is a criminal CD underbelly, um, of things that I, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's funny. And it just goes to show you web apps can be hacked. It doesn't matter who owns them or what their intention is. Let's listen to the read. And now thanks to this week's episode sponsor hunters. Hunters is a SaaS platform purpose-built for your security operation team. Simpris, the parent company of Vistaprint, implemented Hunters SOC platform to replace its SIM. Thanks to Hunters, Simpris no longer needs to babysit alerts and detection logic. They've improved their SOC's efficiency and optimized costs. Visit hunters.ai to learn more. All right, real quick. Bug exploitation. I've been kind of settling on this for the mid, the mid read song. I do like this song. I think Breakfast Club is such an underrated movie or such a period piece. All right, really quick, guys, while I got you, I just want to remind everybody, I, I typically mention the newsletter today, but I am making a concerted effort to be more present and deliver more, you know, valuable content instead of just like whatever tweets on Twitter. Uh, I'm doing like lists and stuff like that. Uh, if you're interested, it's at Gerald Osier if you'd want to jump on Twitter and consume some of the content I'm doing over there. I always talk about the newsletter. You can basically sign up for the newsletter on the Twitter account so you can get two birds with one stone. The newsletter comes every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern time into your inbox with three actionable intel items that you can operationalize immediately to reduce cyber risk for your organization. And I just found this out this morning. I got notified by the vendor who does the merch thing for Simply Cyber. Apparently, we're running a 15% off everything special. So Cyber Coffee, Carl, and Audio, I could have got 15% off this. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, pay, I pay the same. Um, this is just a thing I do. So anyways, if you're interested, if you've been waiting for a deal or something like that, it's 15% off everything until, I think, until Sunday. So if you're interested in that, uh, simplycyber.io and the merch thing is at the top. You can grab grab into that. 
All right, thanks everybody. Let's get back into the news. Exploitation now tops ransomware vectors. According to SecureWorks, exploitation of internet-facing vulnerabilities accounted for 52% of ransomware incidents over the past 12 months. That makes bug exploits the number one initial access vector for ransomware, overtaking use of credentials, which is often associated with the malicious emails and compromise of remote desktop protocol. SecureWorks report states, quote, the process of patching a vulnerability in an enterprise environment is far more complex and slower than the process for threat actors or OSD developers of weaponizing publicly available exploit code, end quote. Interesting. Okay, so gun to my head. Gun to my head, I would not, I would have, I would have, I would have, like, if you asked me, gun to my head, what is the most common initial attack vector for ransomware incidents? I would have said compromised credentials. A hundred times out of a hundred, I would have said it, okay? It's very interesting. This this uh, research is showing that 52% of ransomware incidents in the last 12 months, right, was through vulnerability exploitation. Very interesting. Now, of course, guys, of course, you've got to put an asterisk next to it. This is a report by a vendor, SecureWorks, right? What, like, what does SecureWorks sell, right? Do they sell something that helps with vulnerability exploitation, right? You, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, I wonder if a, a company like Okta that does, you know, user access management, if they would have a report finding that 52% of ransomware incidents were uh, access credentials uh, being compromised through phishing or, or data breaches or whatever. So anyways, let's just, you know, in full disclosure, I just like to put an asterisk next to that. I, I always have my antenna up when it comes to these industry reports, but let, let's just take it as a fair sample set. I don't know how many people they interviewed, uh, but let's say it's a legit, fair, you know, ac uh, objective research, okay? So vulnerability exploitation has taken over. This is very interesting and something that you should take note of for two reasons. One, um, internet-facing assets absolutely should be a priority um, in your vulnerability management uh, program. And like basically just if you're a CISO, if you're, uh, you don't have an information security team and your IT and your, your matrix and responsible for other stuff, I'm looking at you, Justin Gold. I'm looking at you, BSEC. Okay, there's tons of us, tons of us have to wear multiple hats because the, the business we work for is too small uh, to have an InfoSec office or they, um, they, they just, you know, don't want to fund it. Using a tool like, show, like I can't show you because I have mine configured and it would actually reveal sensitive information, but a tool like Shodan has monitor, like monitor.shodan.io, a tool like that can look at your external facing IP ranges and see if there's vulnerabilities and notify you proactively. A, a, a vulnerability scanner tool like Nessus or something like that can scan your um, external IP range and see what's going on. If you have misconfigured assets, Carl, put something on the, on the network that has, you know, UPnP pushed out or some, you know, like your kid, you have work at home business and your kid somehow gets in there and configures port forwarding so they can play Xbox or something like that. Or so, you know, whatever con network configurations happen. Right. And you cannot be like, well, when I installed it, it was fine. So it's good to go. Like it, you have to be proactive, right? That there's a reason vulnerability management is a job and not a, a, an appliance you purchase or a switch you flip. 
Okay, so having said all that, internet-facing assets are getting exploited more often. This is probably also because an increase in security research, vulnerabilities discovered, disclosures, lack of investment by businesses to replace aging hardware. We're talking about proxy, not shell or whatever it is, um, exchange on-prem issues uh, just recently. <laughs> like that could be remediated. I know lots of uh, environments have, you know, uh, VPN concentrators facing the internet. We, we cover them all the time in the, in the daily briefing around, you know, uh, Cisco's not going to be supporting this hardware anymore. Um, guys, like system life cycle is important, not just to replace aging hardware, but you have to be mindful of taking that hardware and decommissioning it, right? Not keeping it online because Jack, you know, uses it for something and Jack's important. So we can't upset Jack, right? So, okay, so I've just covered a lot of stuff and flipped out a little bit. Let me do a little spice here. In conclusion, with this information, it becomes a higher level of importance to ensure that you're scanning your external network IP range and verifying what the vulnerabilities or misconfiguration or the, 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 the exploitable weaknesses or misconfigurations, right? Those are the two things you're looking for. Exploitable weaknesses and, and misconfigurations, right? And then fixing that. That's the that's the work. Just knowing about it doesn't do anything for you, all right? Like knowing that you you left your front door open doesn't help not it doesn't help anyone from walking through your front door. You have to go close the front door and lock the front door, right? And then go back once a week and make sure that the front door is still closed and locked, right? So this is an action that you need to take again. I like to use monitorshodan.io um because it's cheap and it it it, it, it proactively scans the internet facing IP ranges. So you get, you get an email. I got an email today about an expired SSL cert. Thanks, Shodan. Right? So, okay, enough flipping out about this, but this is, this is valuable information to begin to operationalize risk reduction by looking at your internet facing assets. And guys, if you haven't done it, you may be surprised at what you find. Sometimes you find weird stuff uh, and you're like, what the hell is this? You know? CISA Directive improves asset visibility and vuln detection. CISA has issued a new binding operational directive, which will take effect on April 3, 2023. The new directive requires federal civilian executive branch agencies to perform automated asset discovery within the entire IPv4 space every seven days. Further, the directive calls for agencies to initiate vulnerability enumeration across all discovered assets every 14 days and automatically load vuln data into the agency's continuous diagnostics and mitigation dashboard within 72 hours of discovery. CISA's latest directive comes on the heels of last month's guidance aimed at helping developers improve software supply chain security. Okay. A couple things here. I, I, I'm not familiar with this acronym FCEB agencies. So give me a moment to just figure that out because that's the scope of what this thing is uh, focused on. Federal civilian executive branch agencies. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so obviously not the military. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Jeremy Williams with the super chat. Dude, thanks for the cup of coffee, Jeremy Williams. I love it. Thank you so much for supporting the channel and hooking me up with some coffee, my friend. All right, so listen, this only affects federal civilian executive branch agencies. You tell me what that means. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the, like, the president's office and the people who do that. But anyways, 
let's just push it aside for a second and talk about what they're actually requiring you to do. CISA has a binding order that says you need to, by the way, this is right on the heels of the story we just talked about. And I just flipped out about, about having visibility on your assets, right? I didn't know the story was coming. Here's the deal. You need to scan your entire IPv4 space, right? So like if whatever your network range is, that's what this means. Basically all the network range, right? So even if you, if you have, let's say 254 IP, uh, 254 IP addresses, and you only have eight machines on your network, you still have to scan the entire slash um, 24 range, right? Or yeah, slash 24 range. Um, you can't just scan those eight, right? So Because you want to find shadow IT, right? You want to find something that came off, came back on. So that's the first one. Super easy to do, right? <laughs> like threat actors will scan, you know, your IPv4 space all the time for you, right? Um, so anyways... Uh, the next thing is every 14 days, they need to scan for vulnerabilities. Now, guys, this right here is probably got Nessus, Rapid7, Tenable, um, Qualys. Like, there's only a couple major, uh, and I know Nessus and Tenable are one and the same, so please, chat, don't flame me on that. But there's only a few players in the game that are doing vulnerability management at the enterprise level. They are probably walking around drooling, just drooling at this binding order because this is like sales, cha-ching, right? So anyways, every 14 days, which is pretty aggressive, usually you see it done every 30 days, but every 14 days they need to scan and then push their vulnerabilities up into a dashboard within 72 hours of discovery. That's totally fine because the scan is going to produce a report that is importable, it should be, importable into whatever this system is, right? And they'll probably come up with automation to, to, to basically dump it and then ingest it. So no human's going to have to deal with this. So it's absolutely fine. Two things that I get out of this. One, I think it's interesting, right? Because now SIS is going to start to get visibility over like what common vulnerabilities there are or what vulnerabilities aren't getting closed often. But guys, as I said before, with the front door example, if you've ever worked if you've ever worked in the industry and done vulnerability management then you know as well as I do and let's share it with our friends who don't know right now the results that come out of these engines are freaking massive massive i'm talking tens of thousands like on a on a good day of vulnerabilities now let's just say now remember the vulnerability findings they have a criticality but it's based on the engine defining it right a, a vulnerability on an internet facing asset where vulnerability exploitation is going up according to reports and the same vulnerability on a machine in a lab that only has like you know very strict firewall rules and only one ip can get to it or something like that those are two wildly different risks right obviously one is wicked risky and one is like eh, like whatever like pfft. okay so you have to put context you have to put your own kind of adjustment scalar variable when you're calculating vulnerability. So first off, they're not going to be getting that. This is going to be getting raw scores from the vulnerability management company unless some human goes in and adjusts the criticality, which now in introduces a human, right? I just talked about automation and 
ingestion and all these other things to populate the dashboard, that's fine. When you introduce a human, it introduces lag, time to consume. You start have to making the decisions on why the criticality adjusts and all these other things. So this is really cool, but I don't know how valuable the findings are gonna be because there's gonna be no context to the information being pushed up into the continuous diagnostics and mitigation agency dashboard. You see what I'm saying? It'll be interesting. There'll be a ton of data in there, like a ton of data, as I just said. There's like millions, dude. I mean, I've worked in organizations where like you'd run the scan and there'd be like a million, like literally over a million findings. And if you just got rid of like the informational ones then you got low, medium, high, critical, again, this is uh, vendor scoring. And you're like, uh, let's just get rid of the lows too. Now how we look at, well, now we only have 48,000 uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, well, high still high. Like, should we get rid of the high ones? Just focus on critical? Okay. Okay, now we've got 12,000 critical vulnerabilities. All right, let's start chewing on those. And you'll never, you'll never dig yourself out. Vulnerability management is like, it's a really tough job. It's really tough. It's like, it's like, it, 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 it wears on you because you never feel like you're really making any forward progress. Anyways, this is interesting. This is a step in the right direction. But from a risk reduction perspective, I, I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna do anything other than make fancy reports with pie charts. I launches nonprofit cyber grant. According to a recent report from RipRap Security, 59% of nonprofits have no cybersecurity training for their staff, and 42% do not monitor their IT environment for security events. On Tuesday, DeVry announced the launch of its nonprofit cyber grant program, which will provide cybersecurity training to a cohort of three professionals from Atlanta area nonprofit organizations. DeVry will waive tuition and fees for its cybersecurity certificate program, which includes 14 courses covering infrastructure and network security, ethical hacking, business continuity, data privacy, and security and risk management. Okay. I mean, this is cool. This is cool. Don't worry. Don't worry, guys. Cynical Jerry's about to speak, so don't sweat that. Um, this is cool. Individuals are going to get basically waived tuition, and they'll be able to take a 14 course, which is pretty solid, right? It's a certificate program, but it's 14 courses, earn 40 credit hours of covering knowledge. And dude, they're doing infrastructure, ethical hacking, business continuity, data privacy, risk management. I mean, this is a full... This is kind of a full program, right? Offensive, defensive, GRC, whoop, whoop, GRC. And, you know, IT is in here. So this looks like a pretty solid program. And you know what I really appreciate? I appreciate that, A, you know, way to go Atlanta. My hot Atlanta friends uh, in chat. What's up? I do love Outcast. What they're saying here is they're going to give skills to those people because here's the reality. Most nonprofits according to the report, 60%, but a lot of nonprofits, they, they can't fund specialized skill. It's usually somebody who does IT. This is a classic one, IT. Uh, they kind of do a little bit of information security, but usually nonprofits are focused on the mission and all their resources go towards the mission and kind of the ancillary cost centers get marginalized. So I love, I love that they're doing this for those people. I hate to be cynical, Jerry, but here's my... Here's my concern, okay? Who, who's gonna be going to these, right? Someone who's working at the nonprofit. If I get, I'm just being real, people. If I work at a nonprofit, chances are my, 
salary isn't that great. Nonprofits aren't always really well funded, right? I mean, there's a couple examples of like gross nonprofits, like the NFL, the National Football League, up until like five years ago was a nonprofit, if you can believe that. But anyways, most nonprofits can't pay great, which is why they don't have staff anyways. So if you send me to a 14 course cybersecurity program with 40 hours of knowledge and all this other stuff, do you know what I just became? Really marketable, really valuable to a for-profit company. And I wouldn't begrudge someone who's like, wow, like this is a really great opportunity. Thanks so much. I've really loved the mission here. Uh, but this other company over here is offering me 4X my salary and I've got to do what's right for me to provide for my family, to provide for my career. I've always wanted to do this. Like you'll always be in my heart nonprofit. So I'm sure there's some stipulations that you have to like work for a certain period of time uh, or you have to pay the tuition back. But you know, usually that's Usually those tuition assistance programs are aligned within the business itself where they can stipulate that they'll not pay you your paycheck at the end to, to get the money back. DeVry is something totally different. So, you know, whatever. I mean, 18 months, the nonprofit will get some value out of that. But I just, I would, I would expect anybody, anybody that goes through this program would, would, would take another job unless they, unless they're financially set or money doesn't matter and the mission of the nonprofit is more important to them. Kim Kardashian should keep up with cyber fraud regulations. The SEC has fined reality TV star Kim Kardashian $1.26 million for failing to disclose earnings related to promotion of cryptocurrency products. Kardashian endorsed Emacs tokens from Ethereum Max and allegedly hid related earnings. Gary Gensler, the chairperson of the SEC, confirmed the penalty and urged investors to do their own investment risk research instead of simply following the advice of influencers. What? Oh, oh, whoops. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. All right. So Kim Kardashian, we all know her. I still don't understand why she's a celebrity, uh, but that's aside. I, I don't understand why her, her whole family is uh, celebrities. But um, anyways. This is the tweet or the Instagram post or whatever it is that she posted that cost her $1.26 million. She obviously got paid quite a bit. Kim Kardashian has a huge following. Um, she's a, gets paid for influencer and the crypto people got after her. Now, a couple of things. One, I do want to point out that she said this is not financial advice. Okay. So that's, you see that all the time. Two, at the bottom, you can see hashtag ad. Now I have been told that like that's all the SEC requires. So this is really interesting that she got um, she got fined by the SEC. But you know the crypto market is it's really really dangerous right now. A lot of people are robbing a lot of people. It's not regulated really. There's some regulations coming in. We are seeing celebrities like Jay Z, Paul Pierce. Um, a couple others um, that I can't think of their names right now, but like celebrities endorse Mark Cuban. Oh my God. Mark Cuban yeah, could, could be fined as well for what he did with the Voyager stuff. But here's my thing. Th this is another one of those like example, like making an example of someone. And I am, I almost wonder if the SEC went after Kim Kardashian because she is so well known across multiple kind of, groups of people, right? So like not everybody might know who Paul Pierce is, right? Internal stranger. You probably don't know Paul Pierce is, right? Um, 
Boston Celtics NBA player from years ago. But he, you probably know Kim Kardashian. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think it might be targeted because she is so well-known that it's going to get press coverage. It's going to be going and it's going to influence people who might engage in this type of uh, marketing campaign to think twice or be very, very clear about what they're doing and how they're representing it. Um, I didn't look at this Emacs thing. Um, I mean, this is clearly uh, a push to her following to go get uh, get in on Emacs. Um, so anyways, whatever. She got fined $1.2 million. So that that doesn't feel good. I mean, I obviously, I wouldn't like that, but you know, whatever. So that's going to do it for today's news program. I do want to remind everybody in about two hours, I will be going live with ThreatGen. We're going to be playing Red versus Blue, which many of you have seen me do on channel, on stream. But what's really interesting is another use case that doesn't really get a lot of pub is that you can actually use ThreatGen Red versus Blue for tabletop exercises. Now, there's a module that is in ThreatGen Red versus Blue that is not typically visible to end users. So this isn't like just playing the game as a tabletop. Like there's a different, there's a different module in the game that is unlocked uh, for tabletop exercises. Clint and I are gonna be going through it. If you are interested, I will be explaining what a tabletop exercise is, what the value of tabletop exercises are to an organization, why tabletop exercises sometimes suck and don't actually accomplish their goal, and why they, um, how they can be executed properly. And then, this is the cool part, I thought of this yesterday, I'll be running an actual tabletop exercise. I'll be acting as the CISO, and anybody in chat, so if you're in chat and you come to this, anybody in chat will be my information security team. We will be crowdsourcing decision-making just like you would do in a tabletop exercise and making decisions based on that. We will be going up against Black Matter. So the tabletop exercise that we will be walking through today is ransomware by a sophisticated threat actor punching us in the mouth. What are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna respond? Are we capable of responding? Find out at 11.30 later today. Super excited. Look at that base case. We're right on time at 9.45. Now it's 9.46. I do try to keep the show to 45 minutes. Um, you know, best practices, lessons learned. We, that's how we do it. Guys, thanks so much. Tomorrow, 10 a.m. And then Friday, 9 a.m. Took the boys to school this morning. Dropped them off at 8.05. Y'all be good. Have a great day. Hope to see many of you at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on the channel for a tabletop exercise walkthrough. Be good, everybody. We'll see you later today.